2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. We've been looking at a section that I have called the soul's warning system. We'll have a word of prayer and then we'll read the word of the Lord. Father, we come before you, you alone, the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, give us ears to hear, eyes to see. May our hearts be open to the wonder of your word, the privilege of our salvation, the joy of the body of Christ, and the urgency of this day. Father, may we walk in a manner worthy. May we walk in your power, in your majesty, in your glory. Till that day our faith becomes sight. May we fight the good fight. Run the race before us. Knowing that a crown of righteousness is in store for us and all who would hear. In Christ's name. Amen. Second <clears throat> Corinthians chapter 1 verses 12 through 14. For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you. For if we write nothing else to you than what you read and understand, and I hope you will understand until the end, just as you partially did understand us, that we are your reason to be proud, as you also are ours in the day of our Lord Jesus. All right. The Apostle Paul um, is, is writing this letter basically to share his heart. This is my heart. This is my passion. And, and he was struggling with this church. Uh, the church had allowed its society to affect it instead of it affecting its society. Right? Uh, much like you see in the church in America today uh, is, is basically what, what, what we've seen. And in this letter, he's basically saying, because I am a minister. Okay? And when you hear that word, that doesn't mean it's a paid position. If you are saved, you are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, if you are in the ministry, you will have things that you will have to deal with. It is not easy. If you think ministry is easy, I have but one question for you. Why did it take a cross to get you into ministry? And if they took my Lord, our Lord, our Savior, our King out on a cross, do you really believe that they're going to hoist you on the shoulders Proud and glorious in that day. I didn't think so. All right. So what you will see throughout this letter is basically these three attacks against the Apostle Paul and him defending his ministry. But he does it in what I call the highest court in to any human. All right. And that court is your conscience. My conscience. All right. I can take all the accusations from all the people all the time and it does not bother me. 
but I do listen diligently to my conscience. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us here. The first, you basically see this attack come in three different venues. Um, I understand this. I have been called um, a false teacher. I have been called, I manipulate people for my benefit. And I have also been called that there's underlying sin in Terry's lives that he won't confess to. And that's the three that you see the Apostle Paul dealing with here. One is moral wrongdoing. Okay, is there something in my heart that is wrong? And if so, does my conscience condemn me? When you see the next one is relationships. Okay, your dealings with other people, believers and unbelievers. Does your conscience stand straight up and accuse you? Or does your conscience stand up and acquit you? And then the third one that we'll look at this day is theological wrongdoings. My relationship to God. In light of his word, how does that look? All right. There were people... And the church in Corinth had come in after Paul had left and accused him of teaching falsely, of misrepresenting God's teaching. Anytime you have a man of God teaching the word of God, if he moves on, know that the attack will come from false teachers. I got news for you, brothers and sisters. Everybody's got it in their mind that the, the accuser is hanging out in politics and powerful people. There's only one force that the accuser is afraid of. And that's the church. And that's where he attacks. That's where the attacks are manifested in the church. And, and, and if you don't believe me, just look around. Just look around. And they literally believed that Paul that had come in and that Paul had come in and given error. Okay, you, you've seen it in Galatia area. Uh, the Jesusizers would come in behind Paul and say, you have to be circumcised and you have to keep the law if you're truly going to be saved and you have to do this, you have to do that. And, um, and Paul said, no. Paul told the Galatian area, he says, what you have begun in the spirit, you're now perfected in the flesh. And yet, what do I, you see in the church today? I'm perfected in the flesh. You know, now that I'm saved, I have to do and don't do. They were classifying the Apostle Paul as a false teacher of misrepresenting God's teachings. All right. And you see that at the end of verse 14. All right. And I'll show you how this works. All right. Listen, let's be realistic. This is a very serious charge. I mean, it's one thing to say, well, you know, I think he's teaching a doctrine of grace because he wants sexual favors. I think that he's just doing this because he wants money. But you start running around saying, no, this person teaches the Bible falsely. Um, That's pretty serious. That's pretty serious. Now, don't get me wrong. There are many out there who do. There are many out there who are in relationships for financial. I know I've talked to pastors who said, you know what? I pastor in Colorado so I can get some time because I want to go to Texas. Texas pays well. And you're like, what? Uh, I talked to a friend of mine who's involved with 
with many pastors. And he says, you know what? When he first started moving around in Texas, you were successful as a pastor in Texas if you drove a Cadillac. He says, today it's a Bentley. And I said, how do I get some of that action? How about I just go down there quick enough to get a Bentley? <laughs> so, but then you have to insure the silly thing. But anyway, um, he answers throughout this letter, these, this accusation. You'll see it. Chapter 2, verse 17. We are not like many. Did you get that phrase? Peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity. You know what Paul's saying? There are many con men out there. All right. Let me ask you a really silly question. Do you think many has gone down? No, they're, they're all out there. They're, and and they're, they're, as in Paul's time, many. See, there are many who are teaching the word of God, who are peddling the word of God to gain their own ends. All right. And it's all over the place. If you don't believe me, why are so many pastors writing books on how to build the church? I was pretty sure Jesus said he would do that. Just an idea. And I tell you what, I love you guys, but if you're expecting me to build this church, we are all in serious trouble. All right? There are many, and Paul was being accused of twisting the truth of God. You know what? They're doing it today. They are attacking the Pauline writings today. Seminaries are attacking it. They're saying that Paul compromised what the Sermon on the Mound says. And I'm sitting there going, really? It's pretty obvious you ain't read either one of them, huh? I don't understand that. But you have people, quote unquote, experts, who are touting this in this letter, the 13th chapter, the 8th verse. Paul says, we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. You know why he's saying that? Somebody's saying he's against the truth. That's amazing stuff if you think about it. And again, the Apostle Paul, instead of saying, well, you know what? I met with Peter and I met with James down in Jerusalem. I met with John. They all say that I'm legit. Barnabas says I'm legit. Instead of going and getting letters of affirmation, you know what he said? My conscience is clear. My conscience is clear. My conscience in my relationship with my God does not condemn me. Now try that. You think about your life right now. Your own personal life. Your relationship with others. And your relationship with your God. What does your conscience say? Listen, it doesn't matter what my conscience says about you. My conscience is for me. It warns me. And you know what? I love you. And I don't care what your conscience thinks about me. All right. And we have to stay in that place. That is a gift from God. And we take the word in so that our conscience has a right view of what is right and what is wrong. 
I have people today, um, I know people today, he says, I'm not going to that church, he's got a beard. Dude, I just don't like taking sharp objects around my face. Nothing personal, it's just a phobia. Okay, I'll be honest with you, I've never shaved. It's just, it's sort of like cutting grass. You know, I never did understand that either. We got to cut the grass. Why? It's just going to grow again. You know, if I cut my beard, guess what? It'll grow again. So I ain't going to do it. Why? I'm being a better steward of my money. See, my conscience is fine. (laughs) Everybody's like, yeah, sure again. Okay. Paul says, listen, let me respond not unto your accusation, but let me respond unto my conscience. Okay. And in doing so, I can go before my conscience and these people who would indict me, these people who would accuse me, they are wrong. Look what he says that there at the end of verse 14. That we are your reason to be proud as you are ours in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, here's what's amazing about the the conscience of the Apostle Paul. All right. He was looking forward with anticipation, with want of what? The day of the Lord. First John writes and says, I do not want you to be ashamed at his appearing. All right. What is the day of the Lord? It's a second coming. It's a second coming. Paul says, I want to see him. My conscience is so clear. I long to see him. Now, listen, you can do a cursory reading of Paul's writings. And that man lived with the immediate anticipation that Christ was going to show up any minute now. And he lived with a conscience that says, that's okay. Listen, if his relationship with God wasn't right, do you really think he would look forward to seeing him? Have you ever thought about it? I know people right now who are afraid of judgment. And in some cases, they should be. No, no, no. I'm not talking about lost. I'm talking about saved people who are not submitted to the word of God, to the way of God. And they have a fear in their conscience about seeing him. About seeing him. See, Paul looked forward to that day, to that moment, to that instant when my faith would become sight, whether it be through the, the vehicle of death or whether it be the, the, the plane air ride. Did you get that? That's different than an airplane ride. We're going to catch him up in the clouds. All right. I look forward to that day, but there are some days when I had a little job I was working on this week and some people made my work a lot harder than it should have been. I wasn't looking forward to seeing the Lord. I was thinking about killing a bunch of guys from Texas. <laughs> yeah, you, you know what? They're in Colorado. <laughs> Let it teach you to wander away from your home. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. 
right now. I want every one of you. You don't have to stand up and make a confession. But I want to ask you, every one of you a question. I don't care your age. That means the twins can listen too. Okay? If you knew in 12 hours you're going to see the Lord Jesus Christ, what's your conscience going to say? And listen, if the first word that comes to your little brain says, I am saved by grace, then you've got a conscience problem. Okay? I'm a firm believer, once saved, always saved. I agree with that completely. But let me ask you a question. If you knew in 12 hours you're going to see him face to face, anything change? Would it be a frantic 12 hours? Would it be a, yeah, 12 hours? Or would it be a, uh-oh, 12 hours? <laughs> See, Paul lived in light of the immediate return. Paul lived longing for that day. He wanted that day. He wanted it sooner than later. That day when the Lord Jesus Christ will come. Why? It's funny because you, you read this and you think about the heartache that these people had given the Apostle Paul. But look what he says there. We are your reason to be proud as you also are ours. Have you ever thought about that? Anybody here? Well, you guys. Anyway, let's, I'll just throw it out and we'll see what happens. Has anybody here run into a Christian that just wasn't any fun? Have you ever run into a Christian who was always accusing, always a frustration, always argumentative, always just not fun? Some of you run into a few and everybody says, just you, dude. <laughs> You're the only one. He says, you know what? Paul says, I look forward to the return of Jesus Christ so that we can all be together for eternity. You ever thought about that? See, we are your reason to boast. You are our reason to boast in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about that? Now think about it for a second. I want you guys to ponder. Some of you guys, we've been together for a while. I want you to think about this for a second. When you get to heaven, when you are standing there and placed face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ, do you know what will be the exaltation of you and what will be the thing that you will boast in? Did you ever think about that? Let me give you a text. One of my favorite. My favorite. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Thessalonians is an amazing church. I love this church. Okay, 19 and 20. For who is our hope or our joy or crown of exaltation? 
Isn't that cool? What brings you joy? What brings you exaltation? What brings you, I just want to do the hallelujah chorus. And everybody says, Lord Jesus. Nope. Is it not even you? In the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming, for you are our glory and joy. You ever look? Look around. You're surrounded by joy and exaltation. Everybody's like, yeah, okay. (laughs) Paul says, I can't wait to get to that day and we will be there together just as I was with the Thessalonians. You are our crown of rejoicing. You ever thought about this? You think about things that you rejoice in, right? Ohio State. Rose Bowl, rejoice. Okay, Cincinnati Bengals getting beat. Sorrow, sadness, and grief. No, just kidding. All right, what do you rejoice in? What is it that brings you joy? Exaltation. What brings it to you? The Apostle Paul was the church. And even the Corinthian church, which let's be realistic. Yeehaw. Okay, I can see it with the Thessalonians. The Thessalonian church is like, whoa, this is church growth on steroids. Right? Paul says, I can't wait to that day. Part of the reason that the apostle Paul was looking forward to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, is that he can rejoice and glory over the body of Christ in its redeemed state. You know what that means, right? That'd be all of them. Even the wrinkled forehead Christians, you know which ones those are? It's sort of, I'm not sure Jesus. He, <laughs> hope it doesn't hurt. See, Paul then turns it here to the Corinthians and says, when I get to that day of the second coming of Christ and I see him, I can rejoice and I can glory over you. And I would like to think you would glory over me the same way. See, this is an amazing thing. They're saying, well, we think Paul is peddling the gospel. And he says, that's that's amazing. Because I look at you and I am proud. I am boasting. I want to be with Jesus at the second coming and rejoice with you. I'm not afraid to see him. And I had hoped you would be rejoicing because of what I meant to you. Paul says, I don't understand why you don't feel about me the same way I feel about you. Watch the churches today. You know, life expectancy for a pastor is three to five years. I mean, he don't live that long. Uh, he's <laughs> Come a pastor and he's dead. Come a pastor and dead. Uh, they stay in a church three to five years. That's the norm. 
three to five years. Then you have me. <laughs> I'm AB normal. <laughs> okay. I've been here, I don't know, too long maybe. Okay. But you see that? Why? Because the people, are they proud of their pastor? Do they rejoice and exult over what that pastor has done in their lives? Or do they just, well, I'm telling you what, my conscience was fine until he showed up. Listen, as we look forward to that great time when the Lord comes, instead of being ashamed of the Apostle Paul, because he supposedly misrepresented the word, instead of being embarrassed to be likened with the Apostle Paul, Paul should be the reason for their boasting. That's not hard to see. You know, I walk in a certain manner because of certain people's teaching in my life. I rejoice in those people. I boast in those people. They bring me joy. A couple of them have gone on ahead of me to the Lord and they caused me to covet. But other than that, do you see what I'm trying to get at? Do you look at the saints and say this group of people, this person, this individual, this family brings me joy and I can't wait to stand in front of Christ with these people in perfect, complete friendship and the holiness and the presence of God our Father. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He says, you want to accuse me of being theologically wrong? But I'm not afraid to see Christ and I can't wait to see Christ with you. They should be so proud they can't wait till the day To see the Lord Jesus Christ. When they are both together in the presence of Jesus Christ. Embracing eternally in perfect harmony and friendship. That's all it's going to be. And and it's heartbreaking to hear. Listen, I've been accused of being the Antichrist. Whatever. Okay. Uh, I've been accused of being a false teacher. I, I, there are times I don't, <laughs> oh, okay. Um, and, and you, the, part of it says, you, why? And then I say, you know what? They accuse Paul of same. They accuse Paul of same. Why? We are just fallen people. Listen, I look at it this way. It should be an honor for them in Corinth to be associated with Paul. And yet, what happens to people? You get people who are weak in their theology. Okay, maybe their conscience ain't quite clear. And you get somebody comes in. If I can attack the man who taught them and his theology, then guess what? I can sway him to my side. Have you ever seen that? Where churches start swaying people to take sides? They should have been proud to be associated with the Apostle Paul because in spite of this church, Paul was proud that he was associated with them. How about that? I mean, you've got to think, Paul's got a problem. These people are boneheads. They love the world. They act like the world. They've got 
immorality in the church and they're calling it great. It's freedom. They've perverted the spiritual gifts. They've taken the Lord's table and they become a drunk fest. And Paul's proud to be associated with them. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. Why? Because he knew that there was a group there who were saved, who loved the Lord Jesus Christ and were being battered around. Um, call it, uh, what do we call it now? Peer pressure. Instead of saying, but what does the book say? He loved them. He rejoiced with them. He wanted them to feel the same towards him. That's what he wanted. And he wanted them to do it at the moment that the Lord Jesus Christ came. I want to be as proud of what God has done through you. And I want you to be proud of what God has done through me. That's the simplicity of the text. I want you to be as proud of what God is doing as I am as proud of what God is doing in you. That's good stuff. It's sort of odd in our culture today, but it's still good stuff. Focus on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing how all the rest of it sort of gets to dim. He's coming any minute. What would you do? Twelve hours. Listen, if the rapture's in 12 hours, it ain't my fault. <laughs> I just picked 12 hours. I had originally my notes was 24, and I thought, nah, make it faster. <laughs> that is when... Listen, I want you to think about something. We looked at this. It's been a few years ago. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Do not go on passing judgment before time. But wait until the Lord comes who will what? Both bring to light things hidden in darkness and disclose the motive of men's hearts. How's your conscience do in light of that one? There's things that we can get away with, even with your spouses or loved ones. That only you and your conscience is aware of. But understand, at the judgment seat of Christ, it's all going to be very perfectly clear. It's exposed. The day when the Lord takes his own and he gives to them their eternal rewards. And there will be rejoicing. The day when everything is clear. It is clear. I've had some in, in my history. Uh, I've had some people make some horrific accusations against me. And, you know, um, at the time. Uh, many of them will hurt. Okay. But you know, you go to the high court of appeals, the human conscience, and you say, am I guilty? And your conscience says, uh, no. Then you say, you know what? There will come a time when this will all be clear. It'll all be the motive of men's heart. The motive of my heart. The motive of your heart will be exposed. Paul says, and I want you to feel about me the way I feel about you. That's good stuff. 
That's why we need to listen to our conscience. That's why I read my Bible all the time. Why? That keeps testing my conscience. It keeps growing my conscience. My standard of right and wrong changes. Okay, why? Because as God enlightens me more to who He is and what He's doing, then all of a sudden, you know what? You find yourself being long-suffering. Why? Because He is long-suffering. And you are here for His task. It ain't your task. It ain't your accolades. You know, I see some things that are going out there today that I would call compromising of the gospel. I believe that the the situation that the people are saved, but I believe that they're compromising. And they have these great, big, huge, quote unquote, ministries. You know what? I believe they're saved. But I also believe they have their rewards. And when they stand before a holy God, he will say, come on in. And that'll be the extent of it. And you're going to find some people that you've never heard of ever in your life. And they're going to have these huge stacks of crowns of people whose lives that they were involved in. And they walked with and they talked with and they prayed for. And they poured their souls out for these people. And they are going to have these massive rewards. Listen, Paul says, I'm looking forward to the return of Christ. And let me tell you something. A man doesn't do that if his relationship isn't right with God. Listen, I'm talking about saved people. I'm talking about lost. Saved people who are disobedient, who are entangled in the things of this world, who who run around with bitterness and unforgiveness. And, and, and they're never content. They don't want to see him. They definitely don't want to see him. Why? Because their conscience is bugging them. I've watched it. I've watched it. Listen, a person whose relationship is right with the Lord is there's an anticipation of Christ. Paul knew it. These people would know it and would be a joy for him. And he would want it to be a joy for them. I would have that every one of you would look with an anticipation and a longing for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And if that bugs you, then where's the issue? The second coming of Jesus Christ or your conscience? Listen, Paul knew that his attitude was right. He knew that his heart was right and that the joy would be as his And he wanted theirs to be right and their joy to be full. See, Paul, Paul's conscience. Now you think about this for a second. Paul's conscience was clear with the Lord. His conscience was clear with him that I don't have sin there. All right, that my attitude isn't self-motivated, that I ain't worried about blowing my whistle. And guess what else? My conscience is clear for the Lord. I'm doing what he asked me and I'm doing it to the best of my ability. I strive, I labor according to the power that works with in me. See, his conscience was clear with himself. Do you understand that? The Apostle Paul. 
all that was going on in his life had no fear whatsoever of any earthly accusation. That's pretty good. He had no fear even of the return of Jesus Christ. That's how clear his conscience was. That's why when you read it there, he says, you know what? The testimony of our conscience, that means the evidence of our conscience, is holiness and godly sincerity. That's pretty good. What a man. What a man. And he did some dumb dumb things. I mean, let's be realistic. He fought with John Mark. All right. Um, You know, he got smacked in the chops for uh, getting on the the Sanhedrin. He he did some some stuff that you sit there and go, what? I mean, a door for the ministry was opened in Troas, but I could find no peace in my heart. And I went on to Macedonia. That's the Apostle Paul. There's no greater evangelist in the world. And a door was open for the ministry and he walked away from it. I'm thinking that's not right. <laughs> I could be wrong. Nothing in his personal life, nothing with relationship with anyone else, whether it be the world or the church. His conscience was clear. His conscience was clear between him and God. Because his conscience, there was nothing that would accuse him. Listen, you've got to think about it. In his life, the difficulties, the pain, the abuse, the false accusation, the physical cruelty, the disappointment, the defections, the heartbreak of ministry, and his conscience was clear. All of it. He could live his life absolutely content. Listen, you think about it when you're not content. Why? What is your conscience doing? When you're not content. What is your conscience doing? No, 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 no. I don't want, we have a tendency, well, my husband's conscience or my wife's conscience or my co-worker's conscience. No, 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 no. Your conscience. That's the one. That's the dandy there. That one there's what we're doing this. Hello. And when I see people who are not content, I know what the underlying issue is. It's their conscience. It's their conscience. Because the Apostle Paul lived a life that was absolutely content. Please do not confuse complacent and content. Okay? How can it be? How can a person say to myself, to others, to God, my conscience is clear? Aren't we fallen? Don't we have like a sinful nature thing going on? How can we ever reach that point? 
I shared with you a few weeks ago that at the moment of your salvation, your conscience is sanctified. Okay? And it is our responsibility from the point of our salvation to what? Protect it. It's not hard. Some of us do, some of us don't. So what happens? Let's say right now my conscience isn't quite geared up to what I don't really want to seem that quick. Can we move it to the 24 hours? Okay. How can it happen? How can I say to myself, to all mankind, to God, my conscience is clear? All right. And we'll close with these thoughts. One. Learn the word of God. Please. You learn the word of God. All right. I'm doing my part. You do your part. You need to read it. If the only time you get in the Bible is when you're here with me, you have a conscience problem. All right. Become strong in truth, because if you become strong in truth, you will meditate on truth. Okay, meditate does not mean I fall asleep with my Bible open. Okay, meditate. The best illustration I ever heard of it is chewing cud. What? You swallow it, you belt it back up and you chew it again. That's chewing cud. Cows do it. All right. And what you do with the scriptures is you take it in, you digest it, and you belt it back up and digest it again. And you should keep doing that on a regular basis. All right. Second thing, continually watch and pray. Watch and pray. All right. Thirdly, you guys still like me? (laughs) You may not now. (laughs) I want you to carefully be suspicious of your own spirituality. Okay. Um, One of the things that I have learned, I've spent a lot of time reading the Bible. Um, I don't know how many times I've read it all the way through. I know my way around in the book pretty well. Okay. And I find myself at times trying to validate things with scripture. I am carefully suspicious as soon as I start doing that. Because somewhere in there, I'm betting that my conscience is going to say, I wouldn't cross that bridge if I was you. Okay. So be real careful. You have to be suspicious of your spirituality. All right. Fourthly. No thinking more highly of yourself than you should. Do I need to explain that one? (laughs) Okay. In our society today, okay, and I'm talking about the church society, the one thing that sticks out because it is so absent is humility. Most people think more highly of themselves. And humility doesn't allow that. Um, I've asked questions before. Can you define for me humility? And my definition of humility is the absence of pride. Did you hear the term that I use? Absence of pride. 
Okay, if you have just a little bit of pride, you got no humility. All right. What is my fifth? Maybe I don't. Know. Fifthly, do not underestimate the seriousness of your sin. Okay, please do yourself a favor. Do not worry about the seriousness of my sin. Worry about the seriousness of your sin. All right. Sixthly, if you purpose in your heart not to sin. All right. If you resist and you say, I'm not going to sin. Let me tell you how this bugger works. First impulse of an evil desire. Repent immediately. Do not play with it. Trust me on that one. Anytime I play with it, I have to repent harder. Because you play with it. Well, I can stand, but it goes back to overestimating your spiritualness. All right. When you do sin, he who says he's without sin calls God a liar. Okay, that letter is written to believers. All right, so when you do sin, immediately repent and be restored. Okay, you don't have to go to a priest. You don't have to go to a little closet or anything like that. Just stop, change directions, go away from it. And you will be restored. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us your sins. That ain't got nothing to do with salvation. That's got to do with sanctification. All right? Confess that your sin, it says, yes, this is sin. Okay, it doesn't, you don't have to run around. I need to go up to Al and confess sin. Okay, because that little squirrel that's up in the attic again is causing me to have to confess more. (laughs) Okay, I'm about to show him repentance. (laughs) You're going to see Jesus. No, (laughs) anyway. Repent and be restored. Listen, you can live the way Paul lived. Please understand that. And you can start right now. You can say, well, you don't understand what I've done. No, 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 no. That ain't the way this gig works. You can start right now. And you have to do it the way I just gave it to you. What a testimony. What a testimony. Because when the accusations come, and if you're in ministry, they will come. You can appeal to the highest human court for a not guilty verdict. And it doesn't matter what the accuser says. My conscience says I'm clear. The more I spend in the word, the higher standard of right and wrong I have because of the word of God. All right. And now that I'm standing in that position, guess what? I have the ability to overcome. That's the way to live. That's the way God intends us to live. That's the way when we do that, guess what? You'll start reaching lost people. It's really an insane idea because now all of a sudden you got something they want. Tell me this. Show me anything in our society right now that will bring contentment. I don't care what it is. Big TV, little TV, telephone TV, TV in your car. TV on your... No, I don't think on a motorcycle. But anyway, 
But they're everywhere. I got big screen. Now we got 3D TV. Everybody sits around in their house with these funny little glasses on. We got a little bitty TVs that everybody says, look at this TV. It's high definition. How do you know? It's, I can't, you know, I don't, do you see what I'm trying to get at? Nothing brings contentment. You get a new computer, the best computer in the world ever built, and in six months, it ain't. Get a new car. How long before the new car smell is gone? You get a big paying job. Get a little paying job. Big house, small house. And when I grew up, you wanted carpet in the kitchen. Now you want tile in the kitchen. I grew up, you wanted a garage, then you wanted a two-car garage, then you wanted a three-car garage, now you want a shop, and you want... When are you going to be content? And yet, I can tell you this, when your conscience is at peace with yourself, at peace with others, and at peace with God, you will be content. And the things of this world are irrelevant. Are irrelevant. It will be by His provision... And be the power of the Holy Spirit by His grace. No worries. Let's go forth. Be content with our soul warning systems intact and activated. And we're listening. When it says, pull up, gringo, we pull up. Let's pray. Father, thank you for my brother Paul. And thank you for your word. Thank you for the joy of our salvation the power and majesty of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, the ability that you've just given us to come this day in worship in spirit and in truth. Father, thank you for our conscience. And Father, as we strive to protect it, Father, we ask for your help, for your provision. Father, let us be sensitive. Let us listen. And Father, help each and each one of us this day to walk as our brother Paul. That knowing that the accusations will come. And that Father. We can bow to the high court. The power of your spirit. By the wonder of your grace. The mercy of your love. And say as was our brother Paul. I stand. With a clear conscience. To your glory and to your praise. Christ's name. Amen.